0: What is going on everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today we are jumping into another Q&A style podcast episode. So as always, thank you again to everybody who asked a question on my Q&A today. I actually answered all of these questions on there this morning, but there were a handful of questions that I kept for a podcast today because as always, (sighs) these questions are a lot easier to answer when I can do a little monologue on them instead of trying to fit, you know, a handful of text boxes within a, you know, the constraints of a a single Instagram story page. So I wanted to just uh, elaborate a little bit more on some of the questions that I already answered today, but let's dive into it. The first one is, is there a middle ground for processed foods? I know high is bad, but moderate is okay. okay, question mark. So essentially, the basis of this question of like, hey, high, uh, highly processed foods are bad, are moderately processed foods okay? We always have to take a step back here. And you know, I will say this till I'm blue in the face, but just because something is quote unquote processed does not mean that it is bad or that it is unhealthy. There is, in my opinion, really no value in worrying about like the levels of processing of the different types of foods that you might see out there or in the grocery markets or wherever you're shopping. The spectrum of processing has very little to do, sometimes, with the food itself, and this like good or bad food dichotomy that a lot of people find themselves in, because a lot of people automatically equate to like, hey, this this food was packaged or processed or put together in a warehouse or you know on a farm or or um, in a packaging facility, automatically automatically means that that food is not as healthy for you because there's more points of contact before, you know, that food reached you and your plate or your mouth, uh, which just, it's, it's just irrelevant, honestly. Like if, if we're being real here, like, uh, and I want to give an example, right? Because if we take a what might be, you know, quote unquote, a definition of a ultra processed food, that could be something like a protein powder, Okay, if we take that for example, you know, this ultra processed, you know, you have this powder that all the proteins are derived from a dairy product and it's, you know, packaged into this powder form and it's sent off to the distributors or to the the people and people use a scoop of this protein powder to drink or to add to a smoothie or to add to their overnight oats or whatever it might be. But protein powder, if we look in the context of like, you know, what is its nutrition value, it's actually a pretty nutrient-dense food that, again, is, you know, very ultra-processed that can fit within the constraints of a a balanced and healthy diet and oftentimes is an item that is going to be a health-promoting food for a lot of people in which it can help, you know, people get their their protein intake for the day, maybe get some, you know, more uh, high-quality protein sources there's a lot of utility that protein powder can have, but just because it's ultra processed does not mean that it is bad, right? Like personally, I just rather have you think about the overall quiet quality of your diet and the types of food patterns that you do consistently and work on meeting your own, you know, individual nutrition needs more so about worrying about like, you know, is this food minimally processed or moderately processed or, or fully processed? Okay. Because Again, even some of the more processed foods out there are gonna be fortified with a lot of different nutrients that 100% can make your diet quality better and and improve your health over the long run, right? And I'm not talking about fucking ice cream here, you know? I'm I'm talking about like things like rice. Like a lot of times when you get white rice in the store nowadays, it's gonna be enriched with things like vitamin A and niacin and, and folic acid and thiamine and potassium and iron and all these nutrients that you're right. When you know it's going through this processing, you know a lot of these nutrients can be somewhat taken out of that product, but then they add those nutrients back in, or add more of those, which can make it more beneficial, more nutrient dense for the people and the populations that are eating whatever that particular food is. Rice is just one that comes to mind because it's like a, a universal food, and there's so many people that eat rice, and and there's these different, just like government agencies, and uh, even these different you know, countries having these different food logs that are, you know, in place to better serve their population's nutrition nutrition needs um, because they might not be getting it elsewhere. So what's something that a lot of people eat in common? Oh, it's a shit ton of white rice. So let's add all these nutrients knowing that, hey, damn well that we're going to be able to get our, you know, people a little more nutrients that they, you know, need and they, they can get from this rice when maybe they're not getting elsewhere from their diet alone if we think about other types of processed foods that come to mind things like other dairy products like yogurt or cheese right even milk like is considered a processed food item a lot of times those things are high in you know the b vitamins high in protein they might have some probiotics in them Um, things like calcium there's a lot of nutrients that can come from some of these other highly processed foods right frozen veggies are technically considered a processed food, right? Um, Frozen veggies and even frozen, you know, fruits and and some of these other canned items too that you might see on the shelf. Uh, Even things like breakfast cereals can have, again, I'm not talking about like fruity pebbles all the time here, but there's different breakfast items. Even like the fruity pebbles and cocoa puffs have different nutrients added in there. Um, because they know, hey, maybe kids are eating these, so let's get them some baseline minimum level of you know nutrition value in this instead of just you know 20 grams of added sugar and whatever that product is. Okay, um, man, there's the, the list goes on. Okay, but I just really want people to get this idea of like processed equals bad and minimally processed or not processed equals good. Like that's just. It's just not a thought pattern that I want anybody to have when it comes to picking the food that they're eating, building their plate for the day, building their grocery list, because chances are a quote unquote healthy diet and one that's going to you know meet your individual nutrition needs is going to likely consist of you getting processed foods in addition to maybe whole foods. Right. And again, looking at the totality of your diet and understanding where some of these other ultra-processed foods that maybe are not as beneficial for your health, um, where those things fit in, okay? Because let's be real, like within the context of, and this is where this question is going, is like, hey, there's a spectrum of of what food is processed and what food is not. Like there's high and low and then things in the middle. But within that spectrum, there's a nutrient value, right, of what those processed foods have within them. Um, things that I mentioned before, like there are processed foods out there that are going to have more nutrients than others. Things that are going to have maybe more fiber than others, more protein than others. Uh, they're going to have just more of these, uh, uh, these nutrition of, uh, um, Sorry, I'm slipping up my words here, but they're just going to have more of these nutrients that are going to be pro health um, and kind of cover in some of the gaps and, and help you hit some of these numbers that you're working for at the end of the day compared to opting for things like, you know, chips or I said ice cream or maybe some of these other just like uh, you know, sugary, more salty, more, um, you know, buttery, more sugar added products that we all know are out there. And those things that exist, those things that taste super fucking delicious, but just because those things have those things, doesn't mean you can't eat them all together, right? Like how do they fit within the totality of your diet? Um, this even goes for like eating away from home, right? Like we all know that going to in and out, And getting the double-double animal style with fries and whatever drink or a milkshake, like that is not going to be as, you know, nutrient-dense or as beneficial as you maybe making that same meal at home. Maybe you cut up your own potatoes and air fry them. Maybe you uh, make your own burger with the whole grain, you know, um, 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 bun that has more fiber in them, right? Like another version of processed foods, but maybe it's not cooked in the same amount of oil. It's not cooked in the same amount of salt, it has different seasonings in it. it, doesn't have as much added sugar in it, right? Like those two meals, if you compare them, what you make at home versus what you get in and out, one is, they're both processed, but one is going to be maybe more nutrient dense and maybe more conducive to you hitting your goals at the end of the day, at the end of the week. So, again, it's how those things fit into it. And not to say that you can't ever eat in and out and you know, whatever it is, Shake Shack, fucking Chick-fil-A, anything else that you can name, right? There's all these different types of restaurants and things that are fast food, they're ultra processed. A lot of those things have ingredients that make them taste really fucking good, which makes it really easy to over consume those calories over time. And it's the addition of those calories, it's addition, you know, of, of that extra energy over time that could maybe put you in a slight surplus that could maybe, um, pack on a few pounds of fat every single year for 10 years, you know, and it's just the, uh, how habitual you are with these dietary patterns can be the the driving force of whether you're gaining weight, whether you're losing weight, whether you're maintaining your weight. Um, if you're eating enough to support your performance goals, your aesthetic goals, your muscle building goals, uh, again, processed foods are going to fit into your diet in a variety of different ways. And, I just, I I can't have people sitting down and thinking, you know, looking at their plate and thinking what food is processed and what food isn't. Because chances are all of the foods that you're going to be eating at any given time throughout the day have been through some version of processing, okay? It's not something that we can escape, but I just want people to change their outlook in a way that, man, isn't is so like black or white with your nutrition all the time. Because that's the shit that's contributing to you know, this overcompulsion with like trying to be perfect with their diet, trying to be overly healthy, maybe contributing to some of these like overly neurotic, like health practices that could lead to things like binge eating disorder or orthorexia and stuff that we've talked about on a podcast uh, episodes before. So I digress here. I just, um, uh I don't even know if that answers this question, right? But I just, I wanted to put my two cents out there and to get people away from thinking that processed means bad and non-processed or minimally processed equals good in all context, right? Like eating more whole foods we know is great. Um, eating less, you know, ultra-processed foods consistently Having more, you know, whole foods, more lean protein sources, more fruits, more vegetables, um, you know, complex carbohydrates, all of these things are going to be good for our health. But those can present in very different ways, sometimes being more processed versus you going to just the produce section of the store and buying everything, you know, as is. But there's room for all of them. And I just I need people to think differently when it comes to, you know, the conversations they're having in their mind about what it means to be processed and what it means to be not processed, okay? So do not be afraid of eating processed foods, right? There's, there's context that need to be added to whatever it is that you're eating, but just appreciate that, like, hey, there's going to be the, you know, sugary, oily, higher calorie, really delicious, really tasty, you know, Ultra processed foods that, yes, we are not going to want to eat all the time and overindulge in and, and include as like a, a, a big staple within our diet. Right. But that can fit in with that or within the context of a balanced diet, meeting some of these barren, you know, nutrition needs, getting enough fiber in per day, hitting your protein targets, managing your calories. 80 um, percent of the time doing that. 20 percent of the time maybe fitting some of these other foods in these takeout foods all that good stuff. I'm going to be done answering this question because that went on way longer than I wanted it to, but hope I got my point across there. Cool. The next question is, do you think it's possible to increase your maintenance calories or is that dumb pseudoscience? I like this question and I actually, i linked on my story, but I recorded a podcast like metabolism 101. It was like one of the first 10 episodes that I ever did on my podcast. and I was pretty proud of that because I actually put a lot of energy and thought into that. So I would love if you have not listened to that direct, you know, your attention to that podcast episode. I think it's like number six or seven or something. Go listen to that. It's not a super long one, but I, I somewhat answer this question in detail and dive into the metabolism kind of conversation things a lot more than what I'm about to do here. But I wanted to answer this question again, cause I think it's relevant. And, uh, I know a lot of other people have this question as well, but to answer the question is yes, it is possible to increase your maintenance calorie range. Now I say yes with an asterisk because there's only a couple caveats in which this is actually possible. One is you actually gain weight from where you are sitting today, which is not what most people want. It's not what most people are after. It's not what a lot of people want to hear. But if we look at just the breakdown of what your daily energy expenditure, what your metabolism consists of per day, like 70% of that is going to be your resting energy expenditure, like your basal metabolic rate or what it what it takes to keep, you know, the organs and the lights on, uh, if you were to just lay in bed all day, like how much energy your body burns day to day, um, given your body composition, how big you are, being a big driving force of that, um, that's going to be the biggest component of your metabolism. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, the other, you know, 30% of it can be broken down into three other components. We have our non-exercise activity, uh, thermogenesis. We have our thermic effect of food, which is Uh, essentially how many calories it burns um, to digest the different macronutrients or the food that you're eating, protein having a higher thermic effect of food. So technically, yes, eating a higher protein diet can increase your energy expenditure a little bit more if you had like a lower protein diet and a high carb diet or something like that. Um, But it's not as significant as, as you think it might be. Um, and then you also have your exercise activity thermogenesis or your intentional activity that you do. Uh, maybe things like steps I would throw in that bucket. Also um, also like lifting or running or doing whatever type of exercise that you're doing. But that makes up a small component of it. It's like 5 to 10% of your daily energy expenditure comes from the activity that you're intentionally doing. Um, 70% of that coming from your basic metabolic rate. Uh, I don't, something like 10 15% of that coming from... Your non exercise activity, which is kind of like your body's subconscious response to upregulate or downregulate, you know, how many calories or how much energy you're burning in relation to how much food you are eating consistently over time. So, um, that was a long way of saying like you could push that energy expenditure, you know, um, uh, part of the equation up by literally gaining more weight. It could be in the form of muscle in the form of fat, likely combination of both. But that's not usually what people want or are in the market of doing, but I always have to throw it out there. that If you gain five, 10 pounds, you are going to burn more calories at rest than where you're at right now. Now, let's say if your goal is to increase your maintenance calorie range at the weight that you're currently at right now, the only other way that you could do that, and again, there's like a Um, there's kind of a capacity to how much that, you know, you could get by doing this, but it's just you intentionally moving your body more, being more active throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of the week and being consistent with that. Okay. Um, but aside from those two things, like, yeah, your body is, it can only upregulate or downregulate so much. And that's really largely just driven by your genetics. Okay. And, and I think that, if you're somebody who's tracking calories and you're asking this question, like exploring, like, Hey, maybe I'm at this current calorie range. If I increase by a hundred or 200 calories, can I maintain the same weight, you know, that, uh, I'm currently at right now by eating a little bit more because your maintenance calories have a range, right? And it's transient somewhat changes day to day in response to your activity, what type of activities you're doing. Um, and, and, and it's not something that's just set in stone every single day. And if you go above it, you're going to gain weight. If you go below it, you're going to lose weight. Your body is adaptable up and down to a certain extent um, before it starts to gain weight, before it starts to lose weight if you're overeating or under eating consistently for a period of time. And I think this is just, uh, again, going back to the person, like if you are tracking calories, like I think it's worth exploring how much. Your metabolism can upregulate, and it's going to come from a little trial and error, um, being patient, maybe dedicating a month or two of tracking food, increasing calories, being diligent with what you're eating, and seeing what the scale does in response to that. Because you might find that you, you know, magically, if you increase your, your calorie intake by a couple hundred uh, maybe even 300, I, I, there's no number set in stone from person to person here, but you go hundred to 200 you know, calories above what you're doing right now. You might find that, Hey, I increased my maintenance calorie range by eating a little bit more. When in reality, your body was also, it was always going to be able to adapt to that. Um, but anything above that might lead to g- weight gain over time. Okay. Um, but we just have to remember, this is more of an exploration period um, and seeing how much your body can upregulate before it gains weight. And unfortunately, you're just not able to actually change how much it can adapt, right? Like that's where the genetic factor comes in. You know, you have the ability to control, you know, uh, how much you eat, how little you eat, and, and observing what happens because of that. Um, but it's more of an exploration of what you're able to do than it is you physically changing what your body is able to respond to or upregulate to, if that makes sense. Now, again, going back to the number two point I made, you increasing your daily activity, your weekly movement, again, has the ability to upregulate or to increase your energy expenditure throughout the course of the week. So let's say you're somebody who's sitting at seven, 8,000 steps on average a day. If you increase that to 10, 11, or 12 on average throughout the course of the week, there's a good chance that yes, you will be able to eat more calories over time to match the energy output that you are now, you know, doing with your exercise and with your steps and your daily movement. Now, I always have to say that your body is incredibly good at adapting. And at some level, like, again, I don't know this to be exact from person to person, like, that's just not something we know. uh, But there's somewhat of a diminishing return over time. Like, you know, you going from 11 to 15,000 steps, like there's a chance that you just might not actually increase your calories, you know, linearly by increasing your steps as you might expect that to happen um, because your body can be really good at, hey, maybe you're burning more energy during your walks, during your runs, but then you're conserving energy more or burning less calories as you're more sedentary sitting at your desk or driving to work or sitting in traffic or doing whatever it else that you're doing for the day, right? So there's this compensation effect that can happen. So I don't want people to think that, like, hey, if I just hit 20,000 steps a day, I'm gonna be able to eat 500 more calories a day. It doesn't necessarily work like that, but you bet your fucking ass that if you go from 5,000 steps a day to 10,000 steps a day consistently, right? Like, this isn't just a one day or two day a week thing, right? If you're able to actually increase the averages of your weekly steps by, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, and you're closer to that eight, nine, 10,000 steps on average throughout the course of the week range, you bet your ass that you can, you can see some, you know, maybe some more flexibility, some more energy uh, output, you know, of this part of the equation we're talking about. And in response, being able to eat a little bit more to match your new energy demands. But Again, as long as you're able to maintain that and you're not overly stretching yourself and you're going a week by, you know, going on walks in the morning and night, and then that's followed by three weeks of not and being sedentary. And then you're eating more calories to, you know, compensate for what you are doing on that individual week. Um, and then you're just unknowingly putting yourself into like a small surplus there and you might be gaining weight because of that. So wow. Another long winded answer here, but, um, yeah, it is possible to to increase your maintenance calorie range, but it's, yeah, it's just not as sexy as you think it might be. You got to gain weight or you need to move more. And, and even with that, there's still somewhat of a capacity in which, you know, your body might respond to that if you're already a highly active individual and you're already, you know, getting a decent amount of steps and activity and throughout the course of the week. So cool. I hope that answered that question. On to the next one. Do you feel more instant energy when taking creatine? No. Hard no. Okay, and uh again, there's a there's some caveats to this, but if this if this is a yes or no answer to this question, I'm gonna answer no to this. And I'm saying no because there's a key word in here in this question that I read. Do you feel more instant energy? So that key word being instant. Um, is the big caveat on, on what you know I feel confident saying no to this now I don't want to discredit the fact that maybe people starting to take creatine you you have been taking it for a few months or whatever some people can notice a small change in their baseline energy levels, what they're doing throughout the day maybe their uh, cognitive function, right like there's there's some things that creatine can be really good for like on the day-to-day stuff but but creatine, Really is is a supplement that's used for your sport, for your performance, for building muscle. And it does not work by giving you instant energy. Like you take a scoop of it and then 20 minutes later you feel more energized. Okay. Um, Creatine is not a stimulant. Okay. If we compare that to something like caffeine, that is a stimulant. Caffeine being something that uh, when you drink it increases the activity in your brain and in your central nervous system. Um, can increase, you know, things like cortisol and adrenaline for a short period of time. Like caffeine is a stimulant within the body. Um, caffeine is, is not similar to creatine in the sense that like, it's a acute response that you get to taking this, this drug or this supplement compared to creatine where it's more of a, Hey, we're topping off your body's creatine stores, creatine being stored within your, you know, within your body, primarily in the muscle tissues. Um, and just having a higher baseline of your creatine stores is something that is going to be a benefit to you when you are working out, when you're doing higher intensity exercise, okay? And I've talked about creatine a ton on the podcast before, but for the people who are not familiar with it, creatine is just a, it's a it's an amino acid that's produced by your body's kidneys, um, also your liver, I think. Your body produces a certain amount of it. You can get some creatine from your food as well. But you need to eat a fuck ton of meat, animal sources of protein in particular, um, to be able to get enough creatine that you would need a day-to-day to maximize or to top off your creatine stores, which is really impossible. So that is where we insert the creatine supplement. You take one scoop a day, three to five grams a day, and you're meeting kind of your, your baseline, you know, uh, creatine intake to be able to maintain these stores over time. But creatine... Um, it works. Another step back here. If we think about like what our body uses for energy, it's, we use ATP for all the people who took biology in college or if they remember it from high school, whatever it was, but ATP stands for adenosine triphosphate. ATP is what we need in our body for muscular contractions, and it's the source of energy for all the cells within our body. Now, when our body uses this ATP, say you're doing a workout, your body uses ATP, that ATP is broken down into something called ADP, meaning adenosine diphosphate. You lose one of those phosphates, okay? You use that when whatever work or energy you're using um, in the moment. Creatine works by helping you regenerate that ADP, so that useless energy that we have, ADP, it donates a phosphate group back to ADP to make it into ATP again, so that your body can use that for muscular contractions and energy and yada 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 everything else that you um, use ATP for. Okay, so taking creatine and using it as a supplement just increases your body's total creatine stores, and that's where you can see your performance and your output, um, you know, your strength. A lot of these things improve because your body is more efficient at regenerating this ATP within your workouts. So creatine is awesome, okay, but it's not something that you feel instantly or something that gives you a sudden burst of energy. Okay. So I, uh, I just want people to appreciate that. That's not what creatine is here to do. That's what caffeine is here to do. If that's something that you rely on or that you drink. Um, but yeah, creatine is not a stimulant and just because it's not a stimulant does not mean that you shouldn't take it or there's no benefit. Creatine is such an amazing supplement. And I, I, I can confidently say that I would recommend almost everybody taking creatine. So, um, it is something that's safe. It's not going to kill your kidneys. Um, It's not a steroid. It's not going to make you, you know, fail a drug test. Creatine is safe. It's effective. It's relatively cheap, and it can give you a small benefit to, you know, whatever exercise, sport, whatever it is that you're doing. So, cool. I'm going to end the answer on that one, but no, creatine does not give you instant energy, but it can give you more energy and people can feel a difference sometimes when they're, you know, they're taking creatine consistently. They maybe get more out of their workouts. Maybe their recovery is a little bit better. They're lifting heavier over time. They're, they're getting stronger. Like it's more subtle differences and you can kind of see that progress compound over time more so than feeling anything directly in the moment after you take creatine. And that's why for the people who take creatine, it does not matter when you take it throughout the course of the day. You don't need to include it with your, you know, caffeine as a pre-workout by any means. You don't need to time it around your workouts or around sleep or waking up. Just take it once a day, do it consistently, and you will reap the benefits from it, okay? Don't think too hard about it. Nice. All right. Next question we have is your opinion on best type of cardio two times a week in addition to lifting weights four times a week. So you already know my, (laughs) maybe my answer to this, but the best type of cardio is going to be different from person to person. The best cardio, you know, the definition of that is going to depend on a lot of different things. Um, It's going to depend on what you like doing personally, what you have time for, uh, what you can be consistent with, or what you have access to. And more importantly, because it sounds like cardio in this context is just being added on to your lifting routine, cardio not being your primary goal here. Uh, That's just kind of what I'm getting from the question. But That is an important caveat because if lifting is the most important thing to you and you're doing extra cardio for heart health and just getting a little bit more active, maybe getting more steps in, that's a really good thing. But, um, we have to be mindful that we're not doing too much cardio or doing a ton of it. That is going to add a ton of fatigue so that your, you know, workouts suffer because of that, or you just feel a little bit more drained day to day, or you're recovering a little bit less between workouts, um, because your body is trying to also recover from these cardio adaptations in addition to, you know, the, the training stimulus and whatever workouts that you're doing. So we have to keep that in mind that it's going to come down to, like, how much can you manage? How much, you know, is it affecting you, if at all? Can you recover from it? And then adding in, like, what do you like to do? What do you have time for? Can you be consistent with certain things? Um, a lot of other caveats that might come from more personal preference, Um, aside from like physiological demands. Okay. So um, I also have to add into like, you know, this idea of like um, concurrent training or hybrid training, whatever you want to call it of like, Hey, you're doing more cardio work and you're doing lifting. It's a really cool thing. Uh, There's actually a lot of people on Instagram that do an incredible job talking about this and who coach people on this. Uh, Dr. Alyssa Olenick being, I think, the gold standard in our industry for that. Um, so check her out if you don't already. I don't know her personally, but she's just a stud when it comes to her content and showing people how to lift and train really hard and, and then also be cardio freaks as well because you can do both, but it takes time and it takes some strategy to be able to do both. But this uh, this question or this answer is a little bit different or it changes depending on again, what your goals are. If your goal is just body composition and you want to change the way you look and you want to get stronger and you're just adding cardio in for more heart health and being active again. Yeah. Everything that we talked about, you know, doing whatever it is that you feel comfortable with that you enjoy doing can be a great addition to that. But let's say you're also somebody who's like getting into running or you want to compete or run in a 5k or a 10k or run a half marathon. Like that changes this discussion a little bit more because, uh, the type of cardio that you do. Maybe you're, you know, spending time doing a little bit more zone two training. Maybe you're doing different types of cardio in addition to running, but there's a good chance you also likely have to add in some type of running over time too, if that's the thing that you're trying to get better at. Um, could be intervals, could be, um, you know, just, uh, um, man, I'm blanking on the word, but, uh, you know, your form when you're running, like uh, doing more higher uh, mile weeks, doing less mile weeks, doing maybe more stationary work or working on your cardio that way. Like there's a lot of different ways that you could skin the cat with that. But again, if your goal is running, like chances are you, you'd probably benefit from running and doing that a little bit more consistently. um, If that's all you have time for is two to three times a week to do some cardio. So I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I defer it to the person. We kind of, If you were a client of mine, we'd look at what options you have, what you enjoy doing, what you haven't tried doing, what you'd be open to exploring, and then kind of make our decision from there. But in these certain cases, if you're just doing cardio just to be healthy and you want to add just more activity onto your workouts, maybe you're in a a deficit and you're trying to, you know, be in a a deficit or push that deficit further and cardio is helping you do that, I almost encourage people to do things that, you know, are cardio modalities that are different from what they do day to day, meaning like, hey, we walk and we run or, you know, you're walking forward, like maybe don't go on the treadmill and instead do things that your body does not do normally. Maybe things like a row, maybe things like the stationary bike, or maybe we do an assault bike. If you have one of those fan bikes, right? Um, maybe it's maybe it's doing the stairmaster like there's a lot of different kind of cardio modalities that you could do i would even say swimming could be an option if you have a pool there's a lot of different types of cardio that are different from your normal day-to-day you know actions and how your body moves that could be complementary um just to switch things up right learning how to do things differently um putting your body through different ranges of motion, I think it all be a really cool benefit to doing that. And yeah, I, I would almost advise people to get away from just the treadmill or the elliptical and just opt for something different, right? Like getting on the rower and, and, you know, maybe one of your goals is building your back and you get on the rower and Hey, we're working cardio, but we're also doing a pulling motion and a rowing motion that might be complementary to you know, doing your pull-ups or your chest-assisted rows or whatever it is. It might be complimentary too. as long as we're not doing a shit ton of it that it's taking away from you getting into the gym next time, right? So just uh, keeping in mind that some of these other cardio modalities might be fun to explore. Hey, if you have a skier or something like at the gym, um, there's just so many different things that you could do. So I, I encourage you to pick what you'd like, but again, going back to Going back to the question, there is no best type of cardio, or the best type of cardio is, it's just going to be the one that you like doing, the one that you can make time for, and um, you know, the one that doesn't take away from what your ultimate goal is, which it sounds like in, in this question is, hey, I'm lifting consistently, I'm really focused on that, but I also just want to make sure my heart is healthy. You can't fuck this up. Like, Pick whatever you want, and then just roll with it, and maybe switch it up every so often. Cool. All right. Last one here, I think. Yep. Last one. Wow. These have been long-winded Q&As, but that's what we do this for. Uh, Just so I can kind of ramble on it a little bit more than what I'm able to answer on Instagram. But the last question here I liked, and just want to speak on it because I know a lot of people can fall into this boat, but it's this idea of losing your motivation to exercise. And the, the question itself is, lost motivation to exercise a while back, still love it deep down, tips to start over. Now, there's a handful of things that come to mind, but I just want you to know or anybody to know that like you're not always going to be motivated to always want to work out and train and do the exercise that you've once loved doing or fell in love with like It's normal to like fall in and out of love with that or your life comes up or maybe your schedule doesn't, you know, isn't conducive to you going to the same amount of like, you know, Orange Theory classes per week and you kind of fall off the map and before you know it, you're not doing anything at all because you're not able to get to the same amount of classes or it's not feasible anymore. I'm just using that as an example here. Same can go for the gym or running a certain amount of miles per week or again, getting in the pool or riding your bike like it. Whatever the exercise modality is, just know that like that's normal, okay? And like even professional athletes deal with that shit too, okay? So it's not this like, it's not this t- thing that you're only struggling with. Just know that a fuck ton of other people feel the same way too. And, and this is, it's tough, right? And that's why like acknowledging it and appreciating it and maybe taking time away from it could be the thing you actually need to appreciate what value that thing adds in your life. So you can start to add it back in doses that, you know, uh, you're capable of handling. Okay. But kind of alluding to that topic there is like when you, um, when you start to get back into it or want to get back into it, a common tendency that a lot of people have is they just dive back into what they were once doing or what you think you should be doing to be seeing progress. And they just go balls to the wall and go out to the max, right? And uh, let's say somebody's not doing anything at all. An example of this is just like jumping back and doing the five days a week in the gym again or six days a week in the gym or doing the boot camp class or getting on the bike every day and forcing it, right? Like you don't have to dive back into that six day a week thing. And I would encourage you not to do that. And instead, it's not sexy, but just starting smaller one to two times a week uh, and then just being able to like, get into rhythm of doing that for a few weeks at a time. And then you can up it from there if your life is, you know, allowing you to do that. And if you're ready to do that. So uh, big caveat here, I just do not want you to jump into it full throttle and expect, you know, you doing it six times a week is just going to make you fall in love with it again. Chances are it's going to, it's going to repel you from it again in the future and just uh, make you burn out on it quicker instead of easing into it. Okay. The other thing that I would kind of mention here is like maybe explore different types of exercise modalities, ones that maybe you haven't done in the past or maybe you've done in the past but have gone away from and that you really enjoy doing and things that you would look forward to getting back into again, okay? That is going to help you kind of help this stick in the beginning and It's just going to make it easier to keep showing up if you're not hating what you're doing, okay? Uh, Maybe it is a lifting class. Maybe it's, again, a boot camp class. Maybe you're running with your friends. Like, you're not going to be able to stick with something you do not enjoy. So just dive back into something that you actually like or try something that maybe you think you might like and go from there and start adding or subtracting based on, you know, whatever it is that you feel is best for you and your goals, okay? One of the last things I have to say about that, I'm trying to recall in my mind what I wanted to say. Um, Yeah, I would say, again, I'm biased here, but like hiring a coach could be a a, a kind of a deal breaker on this too or a game changer, not a deal breaker. And no, it's not possible for everybody, okay? But uh, if it's something that you've been going back and forth on, maybe it's hiring in-person personal trainer, maybe it's hiring a coach, maybe somebody like myself. uh, Man, I just can't tell you how valuable that can be to people. And, and, and there's so many, you know, even clients that I have right now and people that have worked with me who simply like working with the coach because they need that accountability source. And there's something to be said about doing some type of like custom workout program that's tailored to you and your interests, your goals, um, what access you have to the certain equipment that, you know, is available to you. Sometimes jumping in and having somebody meet you where you're at can be that thing that makes you fall in love or make it easier to keep showing up and, um, you know, keep making that a priority in your life. And again, I know not everybody can do that. There's a bunch of low ticket, like coaching stuff and training stuff out there, but it might take buying into something instead of you just trying to figure everything out on your own. Okay. So don't be afraid to ask for help, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. Um, Yeah. And, and going back to the first thought that I mentioned too, I think that what I wanted to hit on was this just concept of like motivation and versus discipline, like just doing what you know you need to do. Right. Like, I I think that's a relevant uh, discussion to have here in man, I, my friend and Eric and I, I think it was Eric and I's episode. I don't remember if it was our last episode or if it was two episodes, but we talked about this idea of you have discipline and, you know, getting into the gym. I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that. Cause we talked about this for like 10, 15 minutes. Um, but man, just appreciate the fact that you're not always going to be motivated to do some of these things too. Um, you know, I'm, I'll, be the first to tell you that I'm not motivated to like floss my teeth and to, and to brush my teeth every night. Um, or to fucking take out the trash, you know, every Monday or whatever it is. Like there's things that like, Hey, I'm not motivated to do, but I do it anyway because those things serve me in some type of capacity. Um, and that is what can help you show up and do those, do those things. Um, even when you don't feel like doing that shit in the moment. Okay. So motivation does not always have to be the driving force here. And if you try and let motivation be the driving force of you getting back into the gym and sticking with that for a period of time, you bet your ass that that's going to be a short lived experience. And you're kind of going to be back to square one. And in this thought process of like, damn, I'm burned out. I don't know why I want to, don't want to train anymore. And just kind of in this, this gray area where you just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to do it anymore. So don't rely on motivation. Motivation is always going to be transient. And yeah, I just, uh, I just want people to appreciate the fact that at some level, Hey, you have all those other things I talked about in check, or maybe you tried all those things like at some level, it's going to take a change in mindset or just a greater appreciation for like, Hey, it's okay if I don't feel like doing this, but it's scheduled into my week. And this is when I normally do it. And even though I don't feel like doing it today, I'm going to do it anyway, because I know it's in the best interest for myself, my health, My mental health, X, Y, and Z going forward. Um, And I promise you, you will be damn happy and proud that you kind of showed up and did it anyway, instead of choosing not to, because you do that over time that, you know, that investment, that time that you put in will compound and you will be a better and different person because of that. And you will likely make that a habit going forward down the long run. So yeah, just to recap on that, I guess, just start slow Do shit that you like or want to try. Uh, Hire some help if you can. And don't let motivation always be the driving force behind that because it's just, uh, that's more often than not going to be kind of a losing battle with this. So, all righty. That is actually the last question. And I'm happy about it because I talked way longer. Again, I know I say that on every podcast. I need to just like manage my expectations for some of these things. But I really have every intention coming in and doing like a 20-minute podcast and being like, Hell yeah, here's five questions. Here's the answer. See you later. But that's just not how my brain works. So, my goal is to just not acknowledge the fact that I did not, you know, uh, have a good time management with whatever podcast recording that I'm doing and just have the expectation that that's what I needed to do in the first place. So, I digress here. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, remember to use the purpose, train with intention, and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. If you need anything from me, I'm always here. Any questions, always just ask. Um, reach out to me, follow me on Instagram. I'm always there. And yeah, I appreciate you listening as always, and I'll see you on the next episode. Talk to you soon. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at Luke Smith RD. Thanks again for tuning in. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.